Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. It's my job, not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Maybe, just maybe, We've been looking at this economy all wrong. With all the attention President Trump has focused on manufacturing, it's easy to forget that the United States is a nation built on consumption, not industry, on sales and services, not on making things. So on a day when the Dow dipped 89 points, while the S&P declined 0.04%, and the Nasdaq actually gained 0.38%, thanks to You guessed it. Fang! I think this manufacturing obsession is throwing a lot of people off the scent and off the track. We have had some truly stunning retail sales numbers of late, and they're not getting the kind of attention they deserve, and they're not being put into the vast pastiche that is the stock market. Speaking of the president, I don't want to overlook the problems created by the twin guilties, the guilty verdict for Paul Manafort and a guilty plea from Michael Cohen. Later tonight, I'll explain how this could impact your stocks. But I got to say, I just came from a terrific webinar with Mark Chaikin. Think the Chaikin money flow and a host of other technical indicators that we talk about a lot on uh, Tuesdays off the charts. And he made a very compelling case that historically, the stock market tends to shrug off political turmoil. Chaikin measured the impact of the Kennedy assassination, the Nixon resignation, Iran-Contra during the Reagan years, and the Clinton impeachment. From the perspective of the market, these were never more than short-term distractions. Selling stocks in political turmoil has been a bad bet, he explained to me in the Chaking Kramer webinar. Instead, buy, 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 you should be buying. Now, that news of the guilty pair of one-time Trump advisors has obscured a lot of good consumer news and has led to an underestimation of the earnings power of the entire retail group. But that's only part of the story. The other part is what I mentioned before. The president dominates the headlines. And when he talks about the economy, he's laser-focused on international trade and bringing back lost manufacturing jobs. That's what his base wants. He doesn't talk much about the consumer at all. And, in fact, his tariffs have undeniably raised prices for them. Well, of course, we do want as much manufacturing in the country as we can get. However, that doesn't mean investors like you should be laser-focused on manufacturing. Two-thirds of our economy is based on consumer spending. In other words, we spend far too much time worrying about our trading partners and far too little time talking about what our economy is really about, shopping for goods and services. Don't get me wrong. I think the president's right to crack down on the unfair trade practices of countries like China. But you know what? With a $19 trillion economy, this, it is a sideshow, people. So what's the main event? The main event is retail. This week, we've got a number of just amazing Amazing reports from American retailers. And these companies make up a much larger part of the economy than, say, the steel or aluminum manufacturers. 
We've now seen, let's take them off, incredible results from Target, Lowe's, Urban Outfitters, Kohl's, and TJX, along with stellar earnings from Walmart, Nordstrom, and Home Depot. And just now, just this very night, Williams-Sonoma, Home Goods, which had a colossal earnings beat and soaring after hours trading, which I think you should have known from when we had the, sh- the company on the show not that long ago. What a story. Now, Target's typical. Analysts were expecting about a 4.1% same-source sales growth. Uh-uh, they came in at 6.5%. What a beat! Traffic was very strong, both in store and online. Sales trends accelerating in all five of the core merchandising categories and up 41% online. As CEO Brian Cornell told us on the conference call, and I quote, comp growth in our home category was amazingly strong, up nearly 10%. Headlines also saw, sorry, hardlines also saw high single-digit comp growth driven by strength in both toys and electronics, end quote. Guys, these are incredible numbers. I don't even, I've never seen anything like it. The source of this strength, Cornell pointed out that, I quote, like others, we're currently benefiting from a very strong consumer environment. Perhaps the strongest I have seen in my career. Whoa! Holy cow! Now, Cornell did address the impact of the trade war. He said, and we quote, we are concerned about tariffs because they would increase prices on everyday products for American families, end quote. He's not oblivious. Quote, a prolonged deterioration in global trade relationships could damage economic growth and vitality vitality in the United States, end quote. But the real takeaway from this target call and nearly every other major retailer except for JCPenney is that the analysts who follow a major swath of this economy have been dead wrong about both the health of the consumer and the state of retail in general. Their estimates being so low are why these stocks are now going so high. These so-called experts are always eager to fearmonger about Amazon. They're happy to tell us that Trump has created some kind of aura of negativity. They love talking about the huge costs of the trade war with China. But these guys have missed the big boat. They were way too negative on retail, and almost all of them are now playing catch-up. As you can see, their price targets are well below where the stocks are. Um, these, so many retailers smashed Wall Street's earnings estimates because the estimates reflected gloom. I have some theories about why the professionals got this wrong. First, we've heard endlessly about a slowdown in housing. Okay, a lot of retail is directed to housing. But as the fabulous Carol Tomei, the CFO at Home Depot, told us, but nobody seemed to listen, just because there's that much housing turnover, it's only 4% out of 96, no turnover, that doesn't mean people have stopped spending money. The refurbishing and renovation business is off the charts, something that Marvin Ellison, another person I like, the new CEO of Lowe's, confirmed on what I thought was his brilliant introductory conference call to that great chain. No wonder Home Depot stock is up 7 from where it plummeted after the quarter. If you listen to Target, or Walmart, or Lowe's, you know that people are spending fortunes on their houses and apartments. I bet we'll hear the same thing when Best Buy reports next week. You know, at one time, Lowe's was up like nine points, and it was down three before the chowderheads who sold it down three had a chance to even listen to what Ellison said. Another disgrace. Stop trading in if after hours and before market when you don't really know what you're doing. Second reason why they were wrong. We were way into the idea that Amazon was the retail death star uh, just when they doubled down on web services and advertising. That were the two other businesses. Perhaps retail's become a lower priority for them. I don't know, but web services is on fire, and this, this advertising business is great. Now, I have total respect for Amazon. It's the largest position by far. 
by far in my charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. But the fact is, Amazon's purchase of Whole Foods is starting to look like a big fake out. They haven't disrupted the food industry, hence the huge run in the stock of Kroger. They haven't disrupted the discounter world, as we can tell from the strength in Walmart, Target, and Kohl's. Amazon hasn't even dented the off-price business, which is why Burlington, Ross Stores, Five Below, and TJX just won't quit. The drug stores have been relatively unscathed, too. And we now know that, th- that any kind of do-it-yourself-oriented business, whether we're talking about Costco or Home Depot or Lowe's or Switch Directions, AutoZone or Advanced Auto Parts, has been pretty much immune to the Death Star that was supposed to crush them. Let me put it this way. We have a red-hot job market, right? The consumer's feeling fabulous. A lot of people just got a tax cut. In this environment, Amazon can only crush the retailers that are already hobbled, like a Toys R Us or a Bonton. In the face of a robust consumer who is benefiting from a torrid job market and lower taxes, Amazon can't crush all but the most hobbled of companies, okay? Hey, let's throw in like a Sears, a JCPenney. Unlike all these big, successful retailers I've mentioned, None of the ones I just talked about that are doing badly, none of the troubled chains had a strong enough balance sheet to really compete with the online colossus. It was the balance sheet that did them in. All these other guys have beautiful balance sheets, really extraordinary. Came out of the Great Recession with fabulous balance sheets. Finally, sorry. I got to go there. We got to talk millennials. I'm so sick of millennials. I hate millennials. just hate them. Anyway. They're the most misunderstood cohort out there. Thank heavens I got two of them. Here he goes. We know from Victor Luis, the unbelievably good CEO of Tapestry. Remember, used to be coach, Stuart Weissman, uh, Jimmy Choo. That millennials love, I'm sorry, no, Stuart Weissman, and because um, Coors bought them. They used to be uh, coach, but people also know them as Stuart Weissman. But he told us, Luis, when he came here, I get, look, I get all choked up about millennials because uh, I wish I were one, but therefore I hate them. Uh, millennials love to spend money to distinguish themselves. They buy things like shoes and handbags to express their identity in a way the previous generations didn't because we didn't grow up with Instagram. So you actually talk to people. No, they like to have things so they can show them on, online. I like to speak. It's lost art, I think. We know from Target that millennials love to fix up their apartments. That's driving the incredible growth of their small format stores. We know from the fabulous CEO of Take-Two Interactive, Strauss Zelnick, that millennials can't stop paying, by playing these video games. Uh, that's one reason, by the way, I like the NVIDIA so much. Their new graphics processors make video games look like movies. There's a guy out there uh, saying bad things about him. I think he's going to be left. Oh, no, he's right. No, I forget it. Anyway, you saw him on the previous show. Anyway, these spending decisions matter. They're much bigger than what the president ones from China on steel or aluminum or even technology. They matter more to the stock market than Mickey Cohen or Paul Manafort. The bottom line, these retail themes are the real narrative that helps you make money. Not the Fed, not the tenure, not the inverted yield curve, not the President Xi, not the soybeans, not the sock tariffs or the corrupt Facebook pages. If you want to understand this market, you need to worry less about trees of trade and focus more on the forest of consumer spending. Let's go to Ben in Florida. Ben. Kramer. Yeah. A big Vanderbilt University booyah to my former teammate, Brant Senek, before his victory last week at Wyndham and historic 59. My question for you is this. With all the headline issues surrounding Papa John's lately and Wendy's just recently divesting into their $450 million stake in Arby's, you see Wendy's positioning themselves to make a move on pizza as it trades around a five-year-old. Boy, I got to tell you, that would shock me. Wendy's is doing so well, and it is so well run. 
I don't know why they would want to go buy what I regard as a deeply tarnished brand. Uh, so I'm going to have to say, uh, don't buy pizza off that one. That's PZZA. All right. Uh, look, lot. The millennial thing just bothers me so much. I don't know. Okay, lots of noise these days, but let's cut through it together. It's a company spending decision that matters. Focus on that, not the trees of trade. We need to focus on the consumer, not the industrialist. Oh, man, money tonight. Uh, what does the Michael Cohen guilty plea have to do with the price earnings ratio of Johnson & Johnson? I'll reveal. Then pets aren't just for cuddling. Man's best friend can help warm your wallet, too. I'm putting together a brand new homemade ETF to help make money off the trend. And Exact Sciences is soaring on news that Pfizer will market its color guard test. Is there still time to get in on the action after a 30% gain? I've got the CEO. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day, clearly and concisely, in context and with perspective, and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today. Ask a question. What the heck does Michael Cohen's guilty plea have to do with the price earnings ratio of Johnson and Johnson? Sure, it's not great when the president's long-term personal lawyer gets caught committing multiple felonies, but does it have anything to do really with how we value J and J? It sure doesn't impact J and J's pipeline. It doesn't impact the quarter or the year. If anything, a weakened president means a weakened dollar, which is terrific for J and J because it means their foreign earnings will translate into more greenbacks. Of course, investors who believe Trump is great for the stock market might worry that Cohen will flip and tell special counsel Robert Mueller what he knows about the Russia connection. But let's think this through. The president could easily pardon Cohen tomorrow, and that's that. Granted, it wouldn't look good. But since when has this White House cared about optics? While the president was implicating Cohen's plea agreement, I think that plays out the same way. I suspect that Robert Kuzami, the deputy U.S. attorney in New York who prosecuted the case, would like to refer this matter to Washington for some sort of prosecution of the president if the documents are clear and Cohen wants to testify. But where does that get us? The Justice Department is run by Jeff Sessions. I don't see him wanting to make that case. I certainly don't see him creating a, a second special counsel parallel to Mueller's Russia investigation. You can't just prosecute the president. It doesn't work like that. Here's what some people don't seem to understand. As long as the Republicans control both the House and the Senate, President Trump is practically untouchable. End of story. Stop reading about it. Yeah. I think you'd get away with a lot worse than campaign finance violations or even obstruction of justice or whatever else you think he may have done in Washington. Hey, you know, remember, the, the Capitol is just too partisan for senators and representatives to turn on their own guy. Even if the Democrats take back both houses in Congress in November, they could potentially impeach the president, but they won't have the votes to convict him in the Senate. So I'm sure there'll be people who will want to say sell in August and go away until the midterm elections. But uh, that's not alliterative. 
and maybe it'll be true for some, and some of those sales could weigh on the market. Actually, I think that's what happened today in down tape from the, uh, in the industrials. The counter to that, though, is a belief that the Chinese will wait until the midterms, too, betting on a change in Congress. If that's the case, you can expect heightened trade tensions from this. Aren't we all waiting for the president to tweet, if it says made in China, don't buy it? I know I'm waiting for that tweet. But back to the matter at hand. The parts of the market that have been hurt before by tariffs and trade, some industrials and some techs, may be hurt again. Nothing new. A lot of them went down today. The rest of the market might even benefit, though, from the rotation out of those stocks. So let's circle back to the original question. What does any of this mean for the price-to-earnings multiple of J&J? What will we pay for the stock of J&J? In the end, nothing. Honestly, even if the Democrats take back Congress and President Trump somehow gets impeached, very unlikely, okay? Do you think a President Pence would be any less business-friendly? You think he'd be worse for a company like J&J? I don't. Oh, and yes, I used to say, what does all this have to do with the price earnings ratio of Bristol-Myers? But that was before Merck jumped ahead of them in their anti-cancer portfolio. Look, I get it. The stuff is deeply unsettling. It may be hugely important for American democracy. But when it comes to many stocks like J&J, I'm betting, I'm betting it's a non-issue. Stick with Craig. Some themes are just so darn powerful, so profitable, that I just can't stop hammering them home. Like the humanization of pets. It's a theme I've been pounding the table on for years, and it's been a gigantic winner. Nowadays, people treat their companion animals like members of the family. Meaning when we spend fortunes taking care of our cats and dogs, we don't mind. We think it's the right thing to do. And when it comes to the pet stocks, though, we now have an embarrassment of riches. Do you buy Pet IQ? And do you buy IDEX, the maker of veterinary diagnostic equipment? Hey, how about some Zoetis? There are a lot of high-quality stocks to choose from, and you only have so much space in your portfolio. So tonight we're doing something a little different. We're going to create our own homegrown humanization of pets ETF. Hey, everyone else has got one. Why not us? And we're going to help you get some diversified exposure to this incredible theme. At the moment, there's only one pet ETF. It's the Gabelli Pet Parent Fund, which was launched two months ago. But I, I think we can do a much better job, frankly. All right, let's start by introducing you to the components. Who deserves a place in the Mad Money Humanization of Pets Index? First, there's Central Garden Pet & Company. This is a name we haven't paid much attention to, but it's an amazing long-term performer. The company makes and distributes pet, lawn, and garden supplies. 60% of its business is pet-related. Central Garden was a single-digit stock a few years ago. But thanks to an explosion in the com- company's pet supplies division, their growth accelerated dramatically and the stock surged to 39 bucks. That said, it stalled lately after the company did a secondary offering earlier this month to help pay for a recent acquisition. I think it's intriguing at these levels. Second, how about one we used to talk about all the time? It's the best-performing pet stock of 2018. It's called Fresh Pet, up 87% for the year. Fresh Pet's the one that makes fancy, natural food for cats and dogs, the stuff that needs to be refrigerated. Not long after this company came public in 2015, its stock got eviscerated. Many of us just sort of forgot about it. But it's some social media negativity. But in the last two years, the darn thing has caught fire. As FreshBet gets its product in more and more stores, its sales keep climbing up 19% in the latest quarter. And the company's now approaching the point where it can turn a profit. The stock has run here, but ever since Blue Buffalo got acquired by General Mills at a very pretty price, this thing has been the last remaining pure play on natural pet food. All the rest have been gobbled up. 
it belongs in the index. Third, let's not forget our returning champion, IDEX Lab, the maker of veterinary equipment, especially diagnostic instruments. We just had CEO John Ayers, what a moneymaker, on the show two weeks ago. Here's what he told us. See preventative care, including blood work, as one of the major long-term growth drivers. The diagnostics is sort of the voice of the pet. And what our innovation does is it expands their vocabulary so they can tell us more about their health status. Man, he taught us so much. Isn't he a great teacher? An educator. Anyway, I like IDEX here. IDEX is already up 57% for the year. I don't care. I think it's got more room to run. Fourth, there's Pet IQ, which we heard from last night, which is the reason why we're doing the CTF today. When this company came public last year, it was all about pet products, especially medication. But earlier this year, they acquired VIP Pet Care, which gave them a bunch of veterinary clinics located in pet stores. Then in March, they made a deal with Walmart to open clinics in 20 of the stores, and this partnership could get potentially a lot bigger. Stock's been on fire, up 78% for the year, but I think Pet IQ has legs. Fifth, we need to include Pet Med Express. You know these guys is the company behind 1-800-PET-MEDS. Uh, it's America's largest animal-oriented pharmacy. Last year, the stock nearly doubled, but so far in 2018, it's been put through the meat grinder. It's down 17%, in part because the company reported an ugly shortfall last month. Now, I'm somewhat wary of PetMed Express here, but we're trying to create a diversified index, and I'm betting they can turn things around, given the company's strong long-term track record. Plus, it's pretty inexpensive. It's now 17 times earnings cheapest in the index. Last but not least, there's the big dog, <laughs> Zoetis, the gigantic veterinary pharmaceutical uh, maker. Zoetis is just like any other drug company, except their products are aimed at pets and livestock. Thanks to the humanization of pets, this has been a great business. If cats and dogs are members of the family, you're going to be willing to pay up to keep them healthy. Cash business. That's why Zoetis has been one of the best performers in pharma, up more than 25% for 2018, and more than tripling over the past five years, ever since it was spun off by Pfizer. Hey, by the way, Lily's going to spin off a Lanco. We're going to have to look for that deal. Zoetis just reported an excellent beat and raise quarter. We're getting pretty used to that, huh? Uh, it was just earlier this month. It's driven by real strength in its anti-parasite vaccine and dermatology businesses. Yep, dermatology. Have you ever seen a dog scratching itself? You, you, they put that Elizabethan collar on him before Zoetis really got the right medicines to the dogs. Now, Zoetis got hit with a downgrade last night from, from Stiefel. Yeah, it's cited peak peak uh, valuation. Uh, I, I don't know. How do you peak a, the love affair of pets and humanization? But anyway, the stock got pancaked. But honestly, you could have made the same argument at any point in recent years. And if you listen, you would have missed out on some huge gains. Of course, we need some pure, uh, let's say, non-pure plays. General Mills is a pet food business, thanks to its recent acquisition of Blue Buffalo Pet Products, which is what we use in the Kramer household. I'm not a huge fan, but the stock is cheap with a 4.3% yield. Henry Schein, the big dental uh, supplies distributor, also has a substantial veterinary business. In fact, they're going to spin off that unit later this year, merging it with the privately held vet's first choice. I think the stock's worth owning as we approach the breakup. J.M. Smucker's getting slammed here after a poorly received quarter. But they pa- this package food play also owns a bunch of pet food brands that may just be able to save the company. That, along with the recent acquisition of Ainsworth, that's the maker of Rachel Ray's pet food brand, could turn things around. And this stock is real cheap at this point, 12 times earnings, 3.2% yield. I hate to throw it away. It's the same, same way I feel about General Mills. I, I, I can't throw it away. The yield's too good. Finally, there's Kramer fave Walmart, which is actually the largest pet retailer in America. Did you know that? And, of course, there's the new partnership with Pet IQ to open veterinary clinics in some of their stores. I think Walmart's worth owning with or without the pet exposure. It's just a terrific comeback story with a rapidly growing omnichannel business. So how do we spread our money across this theoretical humanization of pets? Okay. 
Uh, here's the way the ETFs got to be structured. We've got six core pet plays and four alternates. Now, I put 12.5% of the allocation into each of the six cores, 6.25% for the four alternates. But we want more exposure to our favorites. So let's uh, give IDEX, Zoetis, and Fresh Pet 15%. And knock Pet IQ, Pet Med Express, and Central Garden down to 10%. I'd also boost General Mills to 8%, knock Smucker down to 4.5%, because the former's doing a lot better than the latter. Walmart's too tangential, perhaps, but you should own that one as a standalone. Now, let's backtest this thing. How would you have done if you had invested in this made-up ETF in the past? For 2018, the humanization of pets ETF would have given you more than 30% gain. Over the past 12 months, how about 41%? Over the past three years, 144%. Those numbers trounce the performance of the S&P 500. Bottom line, past performance, of course, does not guarantee future results. But if this exercise has shown you anything, it's that the pet bull market has been a huge winner. So if you can't decide on a favorite pet play, you can always divvy up your money across this basket of animal-related stocks and fetch a lot more than just pet food. All aboard! Dan in Florida, Dan. Ba-ba-ba-booyah, Mr. Kramer. All right, here we go. What's happening? I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller. My question for you today is about Cigna Healthcare. I know you have other health care in your charitable trust, but I bought into Cigna, and I'm up 14%. They're buying Express Scripts, and unfortunately for me, I took a small profit and moved on. But I've read that this was supposed to help Cigna, but hurt Express Scripts, and just the opposite's happening. Well, no, no, no. I mean, everybody's going to win in this one. Yeah, I know. Our Chapel Trust is, uh, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. We had a real good uh, seminar today. Uh, We've been favoring uh, United Health and talked about that extensively today. But Cigna's real good. I I have been behind the merger. I think it's great. And you will do just fine. So stay long, Cigna. If you're eyeing a pet play, then I think that what you have is horses. This bull market is a huge winner. Hey, much more man money, including my exclusive with the CEO of Exact Sciences. With the company soaring on news that it's partnering with Pfizer, I'm finding out what's next for the company. Then in 2015, Theranos' founder was widely seen as the female Steve Jobs. So what led to its fall from grace? I'm talking to the man who broke the story and what a book he's got. And all your calls, rapid fire, nice and the lightning round. So stick with Kramer. Do you hate a colonoscopy, but know they can prevent a curable form of cancer if caught early? Exact Sciences, that's E-X-A-S, the molecular diagnostics company, a few years ago came up with a non-invasive way using your own stool to screen for colon cancer. Stock had been obliterated over the past month, plunging from $67 in late July down to $50 yesterday, in part because of a not-so-hot quarter. Short sellers were in their hot pursuit, like a huge grizzly bear pouncing on a wounded deer. But then today, Exact Sciences announced a partnership with Pfizer, the big dog, which will help the company market its flagship product, Colaguard, and the stock exploded higher. The shorts panicked. They bought back the shares in order to close out the positions and help propel the, propel the stock 15 bucks or 30%. One day. Now, I've always liked the company's technology. Instead of getting a colonoscopy, a really unpleasant procedure, frankly, Exact Sciences lets you send them that stool sample, which they then scan for signs of cancer. However, Wall Street hasn't always been thrilled with the company's execution, even as that latest quarter was pretty okay, certainly much less bad than the stock's behavior might have been, I think. So could this Pfizer partnership be a game changer? Let's take a closer look with Kevin Conroy, the chairman and CEO of Exact Sciences, to find out more about what his company's deal means for you as a shareholder. Mr. Conroy, welcome back to Mad Money. 
Hey, Jim, thanks for having us on. It's great to talk to you. All right, Kevin, how much better can Exact Sciences do now that you have something like 625,000 calls that Pfizer's going to make on your behalf? You know, Jim, this is a big, big problem, and it requires big partnerships and big solutions because there are 50,000 people a year that die of colon cancer despite being preventable and curable if detected early. What Pfizer brings to the table is deep experience, obviously a breadth of resources, and real credibility both with primary care physicians, which is important, and also in the large health systems, which really control screening in the U.S. And despite all of the use of colonoscopy over the last 20 years, still, two in five people in this country remain unscreened, and that is not okay with us. What Together percentage, with what a percentage great of the people like, currently use exact sciences, and what percentage do you think could uh, advance to with Pfizer? Yeah, so with a hundred million dollar quarter last quarter, that still only represents about 3% market share. Our goal is to this year achieve between 900 and 920,000 people screened. Our goal over the long term is to have over 10 million people a year screened with Colgate so we can solve this problem. And we think that Pfizer is the perfect partner to help us achieve this goal of working on cancer eradication. All right, so Kevin, what is the split for a Pfizer uh, rep or for Pfizer between Exact Sciences and this? And was Pfizer ever interested in taking an equity investment in Exact Sciences? Well, we won't talk about the details of, uh, of the potential for the relationship, but here's basically how this works. We agreed on a baseline for each of the next three years, and then Pfizer splits the gross profits over that baseline on a 50-50 basis with our team. So we still, as our, our team has to deliver tremendous growth and collaborating with the Pfizer team, we think that we can do so much more together. All right, well, and both okay. sides will, will benefit from that, Jim. Okay, so I applied and just uh, got the, uh, I got the pack, the pack about, uh, let's say two months ago, I haven't had a chance to use it. They called me last night on my cell phone, they offered me a $25 uh, reduction, a gift certificate on it. And then I said to myself, geez, why would they have to do that if, if the business is so good? Well, Jim, your life is really important to us and we want you to return your sample so we can make sure you get screened. We've been chasing after you for a long time now, Jim. Get that sample in. Okay. And this is one of the things that we do, you know, provide a way to get certain people who otherwise wouldn't get screened to get screened. We're creative about that. Okay, now that last quarter was, uh, by all accounts, of, uh, a disappointing quarter. I've got the research in front of me. Is this what they say? Uh, you know, William Blair calls a disappointing quarter. Uh, Canaccord called a disappointing quarter. What happened? And uh, because you, know, you have a lot of good commercials, a lot of people are getting a brand name recognition. And was it was the Wall Street's perception of a slowdown one of the reasons why you wanted to do the Pfizer deal? The answer to that question is absolutely no. We were up 70% year over year, and in a high growth company, there are times when there's uh, slight variations in, in terms of what expectations are. We try to look at this over the long haul, and we know that our team is driving tremendous growth and awareness. 
we think that Pfizer can be a real game changer over the duration of this agreement. So we don't look at this from just a one quarter perspective. We're trying to look at this over a period of five or even 10 years. And how can we change this significant public health problem? Okay, one last question, Kevin. You guys are doing a lot of great stuff uh, that we don't talk about. What else do you have in the pipeline diagnostically that we should be looking for? Well, one thing that we have that we're working on, we released data showing the ability to detect 95% of liver cancers, which is the number two cancer killer globally, from a simple blood draw. That could be a game changer because there's no good way to detect liver cancer non-invasively. And we're committed to rolling out additional products beyond the liver cancer test through our partnership with the Mayo Clinic. We're really excited about the ability to detect cancer from simple blood draws. Boy, that would be just so fantastic. Anyway, congratulations on the Pfizer partnership. Kevin Conroy, Chairman CEO of Exact Sciences. Good to see you, sir. Hey, thanks, Jim. Absolutely. Okay, well, look, big run. Pfizer is a fabulous endorsement. Pfizer, Salesforce, best there is. May have money back in. It is time! It's up to the lady! We're going to talk about that for gold. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, dance over the lightning round. We're going to start with Judy in Indiana. Judy! Hi, Jim. Thank you so much for all you do for us little investors. I have a question today regarding XPO Logistics. Yeah, I've got to tell you, in the seminar I did, this uh, webinar with Mark Chicken today, he was so bullish on it. All I could say was I wish the club had not sold it, but had a big game. Yes, this is Brad Jacobs. He's doing fantastic. Ah. Jenkins right. Let's go to Charles in Virginia. Charles. Jim, greetings from Clarksville, Virginia, located on the amazingly beautiful Car Lake. There you go. I'm calling I'm calling about Acadia Pharmaceuticals. No, no, and I used to have tremendous hope on it. I no longer feel that it's the way to go, which is the biotech that I'm recommending. It is Amgen, A-M-G-N. That's the cheap one. Let's go to David in Pennsylvania. David. Julio, Jim, how are you? I am good. How about you, David? Good, thanks. I'm calling about Dropbox. I like Dropbox. I think the sellers are all wrong. I like the business model. Throwing Spotify is another one that I like. Both of them. Richard in Virginia. Richard. Hi, Jim. How you doing? I'm good, Richard. How about you? Good. Hey, question. Uh, what's your view of Ford? I think Ford's dividend stock? is safe, but that. But I like upside. I don't see upside there. I'd rather own a bond. Let's go to Lauren in Georgia. Lauren! Hey, Jim. Booyah! Booyah! I'm a millennial, and I'm new to the market. Tell me about Avalara. <sighs> Just a little uh, kind of... A little down about the millennial situation. Okay, look, if you're going to do tax, we're going to Intuit. That's the only one, millennial or not. Okay, millennials, here, yours you do. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. This is what happens when you work to change things. And first they think you're crazy, then they fight you, and then all of a sudden you change the world. I just finished the best business book since Shoe Dog, Phil Knight's incredible autobiography. This one's called Bad Bloods by John Carreyou. 
and it's about the sordid tale of Theranos, the alleged blood diagnostic company, and it's charismatic and culpable founder, Elizabeth Holmes. This book reads like a novel about greed, about chicanery, and ultimately about tragedy. Tragedy for what it did to the people who used the device. I promise you that you will hate almost everyone connected with this company and think they should belong in jail when you're through reading this remarkable book, written by the man who first exposed the giant con, John Carrey, who Pulitzer Prize winner reporter from the Wall Street Journal. That's why I was thrilled that he dropped by the set to talk about his riveting expose that you should read between now and Labor Day. Take a look. John, anyone who read Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley startup, could they still believe that she is anything but crazy? Well, I, I think people are in the right to, to you know, ask and, and question what's going on in her mind and what has been going on in her mind for 15 years. Um, I, I like to say that this is different from a Bernie Madoff type of fraud in that she dropped out of Stanford really wanting to be an entrepreneur and her idol was Steve Jobs and she idolized Apple. She really wanted to replicate that success story. And I don't believe that she dropped out with this notion that she was going to pull long con and defraud investors. But unfortunately, over the years, she ran into setbacks with this vision of a blood testing device she was trying to pursue. And instead of admitting those setbacks and, and uh, you know, admitting to her investors where she was with the progress, she, she lied. And the lies got bigger and bigger, and eventually the lies got so big relative to reality that it became a, a pretty massive fraud. Well, John, there's two skeins of this book, and I just love it. One is how all these people were fooled. But the other I want to put first, and you have a quote of someone screaming in the audience at one point, you hurt people. This woman really hurt people, didn't she? Well, I mean, one of the, the most outrageous things about this Theranos scandal is the fact that the company went live with its finger stick tests in Walgreens stores in Northern California and Arizona five years ago in the fall of 2013 and knew the two people at the top, Elizabeth Holmes and her boyfriend, Sonny Balwani, knew very well that the, the tests were unreliable. For one thing, the, the Theranos machine only handled several of the tests, a handful of the tests, and most of the tests were being done on third-party commercial analyzers that they'd modified and hacked to uh, adapt them to small samples. And one of the things they did was they diluted the small droplets of blood to make the volume bigger to accommodate uh, these, these commercial machines. And that, of course, introduced all sorts of room for error. And in the end, this company had to, to void nearly a million blood test results. Who knows what could have happened? Now, on June 15th, uh, she was indicted by the federal government. And when I read the book, I felt that you could make a very compelling case right from the book that she did commit fraud. And if you think fraud should lead to jail time, that she should be in jail. Is that a reasonable presumption? I mean, I think this did metastasize into a fraud especially once she and, and Sonny Balwani, her boyfriend and number two right. at the company, made the fateful decision to go live with these finger stick right. tests in the fall of 2013. Aside from, from endangering the public health, which they did by doing that, right. the, thing, the key thing to remember about that decision is the company was running out of money then. And so by going live with the technology, they were able to solicit new funding to go to right. people like Rupert Murdoch, who, by the way, owns my newspaper. Right and other investors such as the Walton's, Walton Hares and say to them, look, obviously we're for real. Obviously I've succeeded in inventing what, I, what I've told you I've invented because we've gone live with the technology. We're offering these finger stick blood tests 
in stores in two states. So obviously it must be real. And that's how she was able to raise the last $700 million in funding is, is by using uh, the fact that they had gone live in the stores to get more money. Well, there's another element through the book that I love, this insular nature of what basically is a Stanford contingent. And you've got some, I regard, genuine villains, including people I revered. George Schultz is a villain in this story. David Boyce, the attorney, is a villain in this story. I have to tell you, General Mattis is a villain in this story. Well, these are people, I mean, two of them, Mattis and Schultz, were on the board of Theranos. And um, I agree with you, they don't come off looking good in the story. Um, I don't think they realized that uh, Theranos was doing most of the blood tests on these hacked commercial machines. Um, In fact, I've seen uh, documentation recently from the the SEC inquiry uh, that, that pretty much shows they had no idea. And so she was lying to her board as well. Okay. I believe that even, even David Boyes, whose associates certainly don't come off looking good no. in the book, after what they did with Tyler Schultz, George Schultz's grandson, whom they ambushed at one point in his own grandfather's house, even David Boyes, I don't think, knew that out of 250 blood tests on the menu, you had more than 240 that were being done on hacked commercial analyzers. Okay, well, that's, um, we're going to give them that. But I don't know what to give to, uh, to Mr. Bird, who at that point was running Safeway, uh, it, it, so desperate for growth, to Walgreens, a fearful that CVS was going to get this. Right. Blinders in these people, major business people. Right. One of the most incredible parts of this story is that Walgreens actually hired a laboratory specialist, a a consultant, and brought him in-house in 2010 and 2011, a guy by the name of Kevin Hunter. And he was hired to look after their interests and to kick the tires and to do diligence on Theranos, which he proceeded to do. He went out to Palo Alto several times to, to see the company's headquarters, meet with Sonny and Elizabeth. He was also in in, uh, these video uh, conference calls they had every week, and he started smelling a rat in late 2010, and he tried to alert Walgreens to to the fact that this, you know, could become a major fiasco, and the executives at Walgreens just ignored him. They, They were so afraid that Theranos would turn around and strike a deal with their rival, their arch rival, CVS, that they just ignored their own in-house consultant. Okay, now there's an, an element of Jonestown here. When I was a reporter, I covered Jonestown and what happened. And for the most part, the people who drank the Kool-Aid were not that educated and not that worldly. How could this Connors convince so many brilliant people? So many brilliant, is it the blacks? Is it the black shirt? Is it the, the deep voice? Is it the Steve Jobs? I mean, these were made, these are brilliant thinkers and they were all conned. Right. And I think the answer to that is she's uh, a very smart woman, uh, very charismatic. Um, one aspect of her uh, is that she really did believe in her vision. She really did believe right. that creating this machine that would be able to run every test known to man off just a pinprick of blood, that that would really be good for society right. and that it would do good. And so I think she has this condition called moral, moral, sorry, noble cause corruption, which is that she ultimately believed that what she was going to achieve when she got there was going to be a good thing for humanity. And therefore, every lie and every corner she cut along the way was justified. Well, uh, you know, one of the things that I think is astounding is this this puppeteer, Sonny. I don't think, it seems like people didn't even know he was until you wrote the book. 
Right. I mean, uh, if you if you try to look him up on the web, you can't even find a, a photo of him. Um, he's had I think he's had the Internet scrubbed. But uh, to people who had been at Theranos from the beginning, and there are a few employees who did manage to, to escape the, the massive purges that went on there all the time, they knew that that he was uh, her longtime boyfriend. Uh, they essentially started uh, living together in 2005 in a condo he owned in, in Palo Alto for the first five years or so of the company, he was uh, behind the scenes. He didn't actually work there. And then in 2009, he joins. And at that point, this, this culture of fear and paranoia, yeah, constant it. turnover, all that goes into overdrive. And from that point forward, they really run this company as a couple and they perpetrate this fraud as a couple. All right. One last question. What is her next or last act? And is black the new orange? Could this woman end up in prison? Well, she's facing 11 counts of wire fraud. Um, the, the indictment by the U.S. Attorney's Office in San Francisco describes two schemes, one to defraud investors of more than $700 million, and the other to defraud uh, doctors and patients and, and make them believe uh, they were uh, using accurate and, and innovative technology. And, you know, the, the potential sentence is if she's convicted by a jury is 20 years behind bars. Um, recently, uh, the, the prosecution has handed over all the evidence as part of uh, the discovery in the criminal case, and it's contained in a two terabyte hard drive. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's more storage than you have on your average computer that you buy na nowadays. Well, so that, that gives you an Not idea. a nanotainer. Bigger than a nanotainer. It's much, much, much bigger than well, a nanotainer. Well, I want to congratulate John Curry. He's the Wall Street Journal's investigative reporter, author of Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in the Silicon Valley Startup. I knew the whole story. It read like a fast-paced novel. You must read this book. Mad Money's back after the break. You know what? I was very excited to read the Lowe's quarter today. You listen to the conference call. Stock was down three and then ultimately rallied all the way up nine and finished up nicely. Marvin Ellison is going to turn that place around. He is a thoughtful man and he is doing everything right. Congratulations, Brian Cornell, for doing what he did with Target. Like I said, there's always a bull market summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Monday. I'm Jim Cramer and I'll see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.